Hey, good to be with you. Man, I was just thinking last service, worship was so powerful and it happened again in this service. We are so blessed with gifted worship leaders that are anointed with God's spirit. Can we just kind of honor them for a second? Um, super, yeah, super thankful to be here and, and uh, be in this church and be able to worship with you. Hey, if we haven't met, my name is Blake Sherman. I'm the young adult minister here and it is such a joy to be with you. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Matthew. We've actually been going through the book of Matthew as a church. And uh, we have a slide just kind of let you know where we've been and where we're going, uh, if we could throw that up. So uh, right now we're in the second journal. So we have a journal you can get to go through the scripture with us, but we are right now in the Galilean ministry. So Jesus is still in Galilee, still doing his ministry. And we're gonna be in chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and start making your way there. Um, so there's a question that I usually will use whenever I'm counseling or shepherding somebody, and if they're going through a lot of inner turmoil, uh, whether emotionally or spiritually, I have a question that I like to ask them, and maybe it'll be helpful for you, it's sometimes helpful for me. And it's this, I'll just say, hey, if you had to guess right now, how, what, what does God feel about you? You know, if you had to guess God's attitude towards you right now, what would you say? And you know, more times than not, what I hear is that people say, you know, I think he's pretty disappointed. I think he's frustrated. Um, I think he's angry. I think he thinks that I could do more. And you know, that usually tells me one of two things. Uh, either one, they've just, they've never known Jesus. They've never known the love and the forgiveness and the intimacy and the closeness that he offers. And so then I have the opportunity to just tell them about Jesus. But then other times, and honestly often, uh, they do know Jesus. They met Jesus. Uh, what it tells me is that they forgot the way that Jesus originally came to them. They forgot what it was like when Jesus stepped into the brokenness of their life and just began to do a healing work. And um, I'm just kind of curious, if you know Jesus, what was it like? It might have been the moment that you started following him. It could just be throughout your life and the brokenness of our world. What was it like when Jesus stepped into your life, into the brokenness and the pieces and started to put it back together. I was just talking with staff members throughout the week, and I kept hearing about how, man, when Jesus steps into a moment, he does it with complete understanding, with mercy and grace, with forgiveness and invitation. Yes, yeah, sometimes he flips tables, but not all the time, right? Most of the time, he comes in, and he's just inviting you into this kingdom that he has prepared for you. Um, and I've been thinking about that, the way that he steps into our personal brokenness. And then I've been wondering in our world right now, with how broken and how messed up and complex and chaotic it is, how does the Messiah step into that broken world? Like how does the Messiah step into our broken moment? Um, so I'm kind of asking not just an individual question, but kind of a corporate question, a, a bigger question about right now in our cultural moment, how is he gonna move? And, you know, there's lots of different ways that we see people trying to engage our broken world. These are kind of four, four ones I'll just kind of throw out there. There are people that they say, yeah, the world's broken, uh, but, you know, I don't really want to get messed up by it. I'm just going to kind of find my place in the status quo and get comfortable there. Yes, it's broken, but I just, I'm just going to kind of keep the status quo. There's other people, and they say, no, the world is broken, and we're the ones that are going to fix it. And so we need people to get morally right. We need to watch people and make sure that they're being virtuous and aligning with what God would say. We have these commandments. They've got to start lining up. Um, that's one way. 
In other ways, they say, you know what, this is such a mess, I'm just going to withdraw, and I'm going to focus on my own holiness. Like, I'm going to focus on my relationship with God, but I just can't even deal with that complex world. It's just too messed up. And then lastly, there are people that say, you know what, the only way to change this broken world is through coercion or force or violence. So which one would Jesus fit into? Which one do you think you fit into? Um, Not surprisingly, Jesus doesn't really fit in any of them. And those categories, I didn't actually come up with them by looking at our culture. I looked at the religious subgroups of the day that Jesus lived in. In John Tyson's book, The Creative Minority, he points out that the Sadducees, this is how they worked. The Sadducees, they wanted the status quo. Yes, the Roman Empire wasn't what God intended, but you know what? Let's just kind of, let's just kind of work along with it. Let's find our place in it. The Pharisees said, you know what we need to do? We need to get everyone morally right. If we don't get everyone morally right, the Messiah won't come back. The Essenes said, you know what, let's just withdraw. Let's focus on our own holiness. And the Zealots said, you know what we have to do? We have to take it by force and violence. And they all wanted Jesus. They all wanted to say, Jesus is part of us, but he's not. And throughout the years, scholars have tried to say, maybe Jesus was one of these, but he's not. He subverts all of them, and he's something else entirely. I was talking with Dr. Sands about this this last week, and he made a really good point. He said, you can just look at Matthew 10 and look at the followers that Jesus has. In that list, you see someone called Matthew, the tax collector, meaning that Matthew was a traitor and served the Roman Empire. And then you keep going down the list, and then you see Simon, the zealot, meaning that he was someone that wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire. But these two people were walking along beside Jesus, following in his steps and in his way, and saying, show us the way. So what I'm getting at is what I think Jesus might have for a broken world, it does not fit in neatly into any of those categories or any of those groups. It's going to be something else entirely. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Matthew 12, starting in verse 15. And this is a prophecy that comes from Isaiah 42. And it's a prophecy about how the Messiah is going to move in this broken world, how he's going to show up. And just to give you the context before this passage, what had just happened before this are several Sabbath uh, controversies. So uh, Jesus had been teaching on the Sabbath and doing miracles, and the Pharisees started arguing with him. And then uh, Jesus, it says that uh, the Pharisees decide that they're going to kill him, like they're going to start plotting to kill Jesus. And when Jesus hears this in verse 14, this is where we pick up verse 15. Aware of this aware that they wanted to kill him. Jesus withdrew from that place, and a large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And here's what the prophecy was. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. What we read, just stopping right there, what we read about Jesus, the Messiah that's going to come, is that he is the chosen one, that God loves him, that God delights in him, and that the spirit of God himself is on him, and that he is the one that's going to bring justice, meaning he is the one that's going to make everything right. He is going to be the one that ushers in the kingdom of God. And so first thing we see is that the way that Jesus steps into our brokenness is he arrives with authority. He doesn't need to prove his authority. Um, He just shows up as the chosen one. And I I can't emphasize this enough. Jesus is not a young, budding prophet hoping that he wins the masses, 
hoping that he you know, builds up a big enough social media following. That's not the way Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up as the one who has authority and he doesn't come looking for justice. Wherever he goes, there is justice. That's how Jesus works. He has authority. So the natural question that we have to ask is, have we submitted to that authority? If he has authority, have we submitted to that authority? Um, when I was in college, I was serving here at First Woodway, but on the side, I would teach guitar lessons. And I had several uh, students, and they were all awesome, but I remember this one story with a student, and he was really young and just learning how to play guitar, and so um, we were kind of recapping what we talked about in the previous session, and I said, hey, man, can you play a, a D chord for me? And uh, he played a chord, and I said, that's really good, but that's actually a G chord. And then he responded in a way I didn't expect. He just said, no, it's not. And he's like, okay. You know, and I was like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, uh, yes, it is, you know. And he's like, no, it's not. And we keep going back and forth, me and this, like, nine-year-old, and we're arguing about it. And then finally, the, the teacher in me kicks on, and I just say, okay, how can I get through to him? I say, hey, man, can you play me a B minor? He says, no. I said, why not? He says, because I don't know how to play a B minor. I said, do you need me to teach it to you? He says, yes. I said, okay. You know, like, I was trying to get through to him. Hey, the reason you are here in this room is because you don't know how to play guitar. You came to me because I have authority over that guitar for you. I'm telling you how it works, right? I'm telling you how this plays out. You need to listen to me if you're gonna make it any further down the way of the guitar, right? And so the same thing for us as followers of Jesus is what we often do is we say, you're the king of kings, you're the Messiah, you're the chosen one. But um, by the way, I know you're bringing forth a kingdom, but this is the way you need to do it. I know you might be the king, but this is how the king should do it. I know you're gonna save everyone, but this is the way you should save them. Jesus, let me tell you how this whole Christianity thing works in the broken moment that we're in. It reminded me of this great lyric uh, by U2 and Johnny Cash, a song called The Wanderer. And Johnny Cash sings this line, he says, I went by the church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. That's good. I went by the church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. We want all the benefits and all the goodness of the kingdom, but we don't want to submit to the king. And this is, you know, a lot of people are saying right now, this is defining of our moment, that we want the kingdom without the king. But this isn't just our moment. This has gone on for a long time. You could go to Genesis 3 when we were in the garden, and we wanted the things of God without God. You could go to 1 Samuel 8 when Israel said to God, hey, uh, we want a king over us. And God just said, just know that you're not asking for a king. You're rejecting me as your king. Meaning I am the king. You already have a king. But if you want a human king, fine, you can have a human king. We constantly want to take the kingdom of God into our own hands and say, this is the way it should work. And so what we keep doing is we keep installing programs and products and political parties and saying they should have ultimate authority, but they don't. They cannot have ultimate authority. I'm not saying you can't have those things. I'm not saying you can't be in those things. I'm saying they cannot have your ultimate allegiance at the end of the day. That when push comes to shove, the person who I bend my knee to is Jesus, the chosen one. There will be days where people say, you look like a Sadducee, you look like a Pharisee, you look like a Zealot, so what? I bend to the knee of Jesus. That is the way that we should function in this moment. Does he have your submission? Is he king of kings or is he not? Because he is the only one that can bring forth the justice we look for. 
Look, what, look at how he brings forth his kingdom. This is where things really start to get shaken up in our, in our minds. He says this. This is the way the Messiah is going to come in. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. This isn't the way we would have imagined the Messiah to show up. We would have imagined the Messiah to show up on a horse with a sword and to wipe out the Roman Empire. Uh, but that's not what it says. It says that when he arrives, he doesn't quarrel or cry out in the streets, and then actually in the streets, you won't even hear his voice. He totally, you know, shatters this idea and myth that the loudest person in the room is the wisest. You know, our Messiah showed up entirely differently than we expected. We have a king that was born in a manger. We have a rabbi that grew up in Nazareth. We have a prophet that's not even heard in the streets. And we have a savior that doesn't vanquish his enemies, but dies for them. That is our king. And he totally undermines that myth that the loudest or most abrasive person in the room has the truth. Actually, what we're hearing is the loudest person in the room, the loudest person out in the streets, it's probably not the voice of God. So if you find yourself just going to wherever the loudest voice is, you need to train your ears to the voice of Jesus. If, if his voice isn't in the streets, we have to train our ears to the voice of Jesus. What do I mean by this? This is an illustration I took from Bob Johns, but I can tell it from a different perspective. So um, often, whenever I worked with the youth ministry, uh, we would go out to get lunch or to get dinner or something like that. And we'd all be sitting and talking about you know, our lives, catching up on ministry, talking about these things. And then Bob Johns... <laughs> without a doubt, would eventually go, hey, you guys hear that? And we'd all be like, hmm. he's like, y'all know this song? And we'd start listening for the song, and what would be happening is you'd hear like waiters, you know, and they're talking, there's tables talking, dishes are clattering, forks and knives moving, and he'd be asking, can you hear this song? And you've been in this position before where you're trying to see if you can recognize this song beyond all the noise, and what you'd have to do is you start to faintly hear a beat or a melody and you latch onto it and you start to listen more and to focus your attention on it and then slowly but surely you work out the song that is playing except we almost never knew with Bob we'd be like is it this and be like no it's Led Zeppelin or it's Rush right you know it's some band that he had seen live you know and he's like this is you should know this right and uh but the point is you, we had to train our minds to listen to a voice beyond all the noise and this is what we have to do as followers of Jesus in this moment right now. We have to train our ears to hear beyond the waiters, beyond the dishes that are clattering, beyond the social media, beyond your preferred news channel, and you have to hear the voice of Jesus. I'm serious. That's one of the hardest things right now for you as a disciple is that we fall into this belief and this myth that we are like a blank canvas, a blank slate, and we go through our days and then we arrive on Sunday and we receive some content and we consider it. That's not how it works. You're receiving content every single day. You are being formed every single day. You're being counterformed to the way of Jesus. So the thing is, if you're not being actively discipled by the voice of Jesus, just know you're being discipled by something else. We have to train our ears to his voice or we'll get caught up with whatever the loudest voice in the street is. We have to listen for him. You have to tune into that. You know, basically what I'm saying is you have to sit in prayer and read your Bible. Amen. You know, I mean, it sounds like, well, I mean, yeah, right? No, I'm saying seriously, that is the way that you're going to start hearing the voice of God. It won't be 
by like following someone that's trending on social media and say, everyone should listen to this person. No, they might have something good to say, but you know you, you need to listen to? The voice of Jesus. That's who you need to tune into. And you might say, well, it's not very you know, practical. It's not very productive. If the world's broken, we gotta do things. We gotta get to work. Yeah, you're right. But also, something I would just point out, it's a great verse, something I've leaned on. 1 Corinthians 4.20, the apostle Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Meaning that the kingdom of God doesn't show up through our strategy, through our rhetoric, through our ability, through our strength, our intellect, anything like that. The kingdom of God shows up because God shows up. Amen. That's how it works. And so if I want God to show up, I need to be tuned into him. It's not gonna come through my abilities. That's not how it works. I need to be tuned into God. What, what is he doing? What is he asking me to do? Okay, does he want me to go out there? Does he want me to flip a table? What does he want me to do? You have to be tuned into his voice and not these loud voices on the street. You know, one of my, one of my quickly becoming one of my favorite quotes is by Karl Barth, and he was rumored to have said this. He said, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. That's so good. Do you believe that? Like whenever, whenever you open up the word of God, are you reading this and going, man, this is God's word to me. Whenever you put your hands together and you get on your knees, in that moment, that is an act of rebellion against the disorder of the world. That whenever you put your hands together and you say, God, would your kingdom move in this place? It, powers and principalities can be shifted in that moment because of the power of Jesus. That's what can happen. It's just a matter of, are we engaging with the voice that isn't heard in the streets? He's calling for you. Are you responding to it? But look at this. This is where things get even crazier, I think, for how God acts in this broken moment. Verse 20. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. And then in his name, the nations will put their hope. What does this mean? A lot of times when I was talking to people about this, they were like trekking with me, and then we get to smoldering wick, and bruised reed, and they're like, what? What was this about, you know? Um, well, you know, a reed during this time was kind of used as a unit of measurement. So if you had a reed, it was something that you would use to measure things. So if it had been bruised, then it had been rendered pretty much useless. So you would just break it and get a different one. A smoldering wick, they would have used a linen cloth for the wick, and so if the wick started smoldering, then it was just, it was just smoke and pollution and it wasn't producing light, so it would have been worthless, so you should snuff it out. That makes sense to us, right? That's not the way the Messiah works. The Messiah, it says actually uh, he's not going to break it. He's not going to snuff it out till justice comes. He's going to be patient with these broken reeds and wicks. With the things that are useless to our world, the things that are broken in our world, he's going to be patient and merciful and slowly work things out. That just isn't the way that I would do things, right? Like if I'm part of God's kingdom and the kingdom's showing up and you're kind of useless, well then get out of the way, right? The kingdom of God's coming. But what we're hearing is that the kingdom of God, his ministry, it will not trample upon the weak and the broken. It's not gonna do that. And you might think, well, what about, you know, what about when he flips the tables? I mean, surely he wasn't very patient there, right? Yeah, you could point to Jesus flipping the tables, but you also could look at it in context. In Mark 11, Jesus shows up. He sees the temple. 
meaning that he saw what was happening in the temple, and then the next day he came and flipped the tables. It's not like he showed up and he became unhinged and full of rage. It was a calculated prophetic action that Jesus took in that moment. So yes, some days you might have to flip tables, but not every day. If you find yourself flipping tables every day, you are very likely doing ministry other than Jesus. Are you tuned into that voice? That's where it goes back. You know what, this is, although it might not be the way that I do things, I would do things, thank goodness he doesn't do things the way I would do it, right? Because you know what registers with me? I am a bruised reed and I am a smoldering wick. There are some things about me and some days where I just go, Blake, can you just not get your act together? You know what God's calling you to. You know what he wants you to be. Why, why can't you do this? You just seem useless in the kingdom of God, but thank goodness that he is merciful and kind and he does not trample over me with his ministry. He continues to invite me in until justice has come. And that's the truth for all of us. Everyone in this room and even your enemies, even the people that you don't agree with, Jesus is still patient and merciful with them until justice comes. So if he's patient with us, we have to imitate his patience to other people. Are you doing that? You know, Anne Lamott has this really good quote, and she says, you can safely assume that you've made God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. <laughs> that's, a, that's our question. Does God hate all the same people that you do? Is God like, oh yeah, they're useless, get rid of them. Cancel them, get rid of them. Or does God just endure? Is he patient? Does he continue to seek? It's a good question for us to ask ourselves. And right now, if you're thinking in your head, is this about me? And you're thinking, that's really good for those people, I'm talking to you. If you're thinking that certain group needs to hear this, I'm talking to you. This is a call of Jesus in this moment is that yes, it's broken, but we're gonna submit to his authority and we're gonna listen for his voice and then when everyone's messed up and trying to figure it out and we're all broken, guess what? We're going to be patient with one another while Jesus works out his justice and we continue to seek his justice and his kingdom here and now. But we have to be patient and do ministry the way our king would do ministry. So I said all this and you're like, I feel like you didn't really tell me what we need to do tomorrow. I don't know exactly the particulars of what you need to do tomorrow. I don't know if it's gonna be that slow, patient ministry or if it's you flipping a table. I don't, I don't know. I just know that you're gonna figure that out at the feet of Jesus. Amen. And we, as a church, church at large, we need to reorient ourselves to the feet of Jesus. Stop getting caught up in the voices in the streets and listen to his voice. Listen to his authority. Can we do that? I believe we can because we have God's spirit within us and he beckons us to his kingdom. What if that's what we became known for, just as a church? What if it's like, look, the world's crazy, but one thing I know about them is that they are secure under the authority of Jesus, Amen. that they're looking to him more than anybody else, that they're waiting for his voice and that they are so patient with broken people because they realize they are broken, that they're inviting people to the table because they're realizing I shouldn't be at the table, but God invited me. What if we could just... Imitate that to the world. That's my heart and my desire. Now we're gonna respond with a song and uh, 
You know, this song is really powerful. It's talking about how, you know, Jesus is the defender, that he comes, and that, that he's going to stand for you, and he's going to be the one that defends, and he's the one that's bringing out justice. And he had this really good line that says, you know, when I thought I lost me, you knew where I left me. And for some of us in this room right now, the message that you need to hear is that Jesus steps into your broken moment, and he's inviting you to know him. Like when I talked about at the beginning, like, hey, is Jesus, is he angry and far removed from you? You're thinking, yeah, that's me all the time. That's always been me. Jesus is inviting you right now and saying, hey, actually, I'm really patient with you. And I can step in your brokenness with authority. You just need to follow me and listen to me. And he's inviting you to just follow him today. And you could take that, that decision right now. You could pray about it. Talk with someone in this room. If you're online, you could uh, just put it in the chat and someone's gonna reach out to you. But then a lot of us, a lot of us that know Jesus, I think we might need to repent. And repent's not a scary thing. Sometimes we make it like this really, like only bad people repent, but that's actually a very normal Christian thing. Something I have to do every week. And if I was more in tune with God, probably every day. But something we have to do all the time where we say, you know what, God, I've been imagining your kingdom was like this and I've been chasing the wrong things and actually your kingdom's like this. I'm gonna turn towards what you invite me to. And maybe a practical step for you is you just need to fast from all the other voices that you've been listening to. The social media, the news, the paper, whatever it is, the thing that you've been saying, yeah, actually that's my direction and my source, you might need to give that up. And if right now you're thinking, that's not practical, I need that, then you especially need to give it up because that is not your source of life or direction. And actually the source of life and direction is Jesus Christ and you need to push into his voice. Take a week, take a month, take a year to push into his voice until you can faithfully come back and engage with these things in the world. It's not that they're bad, it's that they shouldn't have all of our attention. That's what fasting is about. It's not about garnering the attention of God, it's about giving your attention to him. And maybe we need to give things up for a while so we can get things settled. God's gonna do it. His kingdom's gonna advance. Let's be a part of it. Would y'all pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And God, we confess that so often we try to bring our own broken solutions to the world. That so often we try to run off and be king. But God, we just wanna right now humbly acknowledge some of us for the first time that you are king and only you can heal the brokenness. God, right now, hearts that are calloused to the way that your kingdom would come in, would you just shatter that? Break through, penetrate it through your grace and your mercy. And God, as we sing, we would just respond faithfully. It's getting on our knees. It's repenting. It's finding space to just get away in the quiet to hear your voice. God, would you help us to do that? We love you. In your name we pray.